Murdoch University, Alumni After Dark, powering your mind. Hi everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. For those who know me, welcome back. Uh, And for those who are new to the podcast, my name is Sam Osborne, your Alumni Relations Officer and fellow alumnus. Um, This week, we're going to dive into the controversial topic of Kids Online. Last week, I spoke to alumnus, founder and managing director of YSAFE, 2020 Telstra Business Women's Award winner, clinical psychologist and supermom, Jordan Foster. Jordan finished her honours in psychology in 2011 and has just gone on to do some really amazing stuff. Um, In this episode, I chat to her about her work keeping kids safe online by working with schools um, and parents. Jordan also offers some really valuable advice on ways we as parents and guardians can not only protect our kids from online dangers, but also encourage them to practice appropriate online behaviours. Look, if you have children, you do not want to miss this. Let's take a listen. Thank you for joining me, Jordan. It's my pleasure to be here, Samantha. (laughs) Um, So, Jordan, could you tell us a little bit about your current role? Yeah, so I founded a company called YSAVE all the way back in 2013, which feels like a lifetime ago now. So I'm a clinical psychologist and I'm the managing director of YSAVE. So we provide cyber safety education to predominantly schools, so students and parents and staff. Yeah, okay. And how did you get into that? If you're, I mean, I've noticed that you're obviously trained in psychology, you've got heaps of experience in that, and the IT side's kind of quite far away from that I think right it was there was a there was a few factors that influenced getting into that um and I I wasn't sort of really aware of them at the time but I think they kind of collided together as I was about to do my postgraduate degree but um one of the one of the catalysts was in school when I was in school that's when iPhones were released in my last year of school and we were all using for you know the people my age who are listening to this, a bit of, bit of MySpace, which was all the rage back then and that was sort of the first social media platform that really exploded and then Facebook um, came out when I was sort of at the end of my high school life. So I got to experience a lot of uh, social media and, and, and heightened tech use when I was in school. So that was really um, such a huge impact on, on my friendships and, and all sorts at the time. And my dad is a police officer and he worked in more like um, the tech space. So him and I used to speak a lot about where would this go and and what's the impact that it has on people. And a few of my friends got sort of wrapped up in cyberbullying problems and things and it didn't necessarily spark my interest in any of this at the time. It was just that was what my life kind of was about. And then my brother and I, we're really close. He's like, you know, my, my best friend. He always has been. But um, because he's three years older than me, I remember there's that period of time in your adolescence where, you know, a, an older boy is not really that interested in their, you know, wanting to hang out with his kind of boring younger sister. <laughs> and so what we used to do was we used to game together on his PlayStation. Um, and that was a that was a real bonding moment for us is just having that shared activity that we would do. And I, I really had positive feelings towards gaming and um so then there was that element. And then when I worked, I had a period of time that I worked for the local council uh, and I was doing in their sort of family services unit and I was doing consultation with our families. And the number one issue that came out for parents as a concern was cyber safety. 
And then I got some funding and organized for a bunch of schools to have this person come in and talk about it. And what I noticed, and, you know, this is not to be, you know, horrible berating to the person giving it, but it was to a group of year 12 students. I was 22 at the time. And I thought, this is so not at all what it's like to be a young person online. You're not capturing anything that's actually reflective of what young people are experiencing. And sort of all of those things kind of collided together um, to kind of form my interest in this space. So I wouldn't have expected at the beginning of my career if I wanted to be a marriage counsellor. Um, <laughs> and then when I when I finally finished my postgrad and I did all my, my um, practical placements and actually got into um, being a clinical psych registrar, I thought, actually, I'm really interested in working with teenagers and I'm really interested in tech. And it kind of just kind of grew from there. But so unexpected. When I talk to young people, I always say to them, like, have an idea about where you want to go that's that's aligned with your values because that's what's going to make your job really fulfilling. But be really willing to be flexible and open-minded because you just really never know where your career is going to take you. And it could be to this really incredible space that you never actually thought about. For sure. And that's right. I mean, all kind of, um, I guess, areas or industries have those sort of like sub- areas as well underneath it so you know I wouldn't personally have thought oh psychology what you know cyber safety <laughs> but you know no, when you think about it, it totally makes sense so yeah um, absolutely when I started kind of um I did my postgrad in bullying and then cyberbullying and I remember at the time people were kind of like why do you want to look into cyberbullying it's not really that prominent and now <laughs> I yeah. don't have to justify the link to no. anyone between psychology and and screen behaviors and the impact on well-being it's just really obvious but yeah uh, you know 10 years or so ago even or even less than actually people didn't quite get it um yeah, yeah it's changed now I remember I remember my dad just saying like just log off why why do you need yeah. to be there and it's it's kind of like this is life now dad this is <laughs> yeah you know what Samantha people still say that to kids they yeah, do and of. it's just such a pointless comes from a good place don't get me wrong but it's so it's it's not possible particularly now that we're having increases in young people using technology for school let alone you know for this to you know join on social media and speak with their friends or entertainment it's just it's just not possible and that's not the best way to approach it yeah yeah sure so what does um why safe do so we provide predominantly education we'll go in and we'll do workshops and sessions for students parents and staff we also have a full curriculum, um, lesson plans that teachers roll out for K to Year Twelve students. That's amazing. We work, yeah. We try and right. we try and be really holistic and um, assist schools as much as we can. We have incident management frameworks and online safety policies and um, that type of thing. So we really partner with our schools that we work with, and we really try and provide as much solution for them as we can because it's a really nuanced space and it's really mm-hmm. important. But a lot of schools don't have the time to put into it in as much detail as what they'd actually really like. So um, that's a little snapshot of what we do. Yeah, okay. Thanks for that. Um, so you mentioned cyberbullying before. Um, what are some of the other dangers um, of being online? Look, we the, the dangers themselves haven't, how, how we think about them is sort of in categories and they haven't changed, right, over time generally. So you'll get cyberbullying is still unfortunately really prominent, um, kids disseminating sexting or or, or illicit um, photographs and videos of themselves. Online predators um, is still really prominent. Grooming, children's exposure to pornography and other negative online content such as, you know, drug abuse and violence. 
um, all of these types of things, they're unfortunately relatively stable. Where we see the change is how they actually come across, how they're manifested in a way. So at the moment, I mean, one of the things that we've been seeing probably a couple of months ago is the Ukraine war being um, yeah. you know, posted on, on TikTok in particular, but on other platforms as well. And kids being exposed to negative content that is really harrowing to deal with and very upsetting and not necessarily, depending on the age of that child, is not necessarily something that they can mentally process. Um, so when we say talk about negative content, those are the nuances in, in what we're speaking about. Um, there's a lot of misinformation online at the moment, um, which is really negatively impacting young people and their perception about the world. Um, children are highly sexualized based on the content that they are now seeing online and emulating things that they see. Um, Cyberbullying, how it happens these days is horrific and it just evolves depending on the functionality of that platform. Um, the most common form of cyberbullying is still mean comments, but something that we're seeing um, on an upward trend is impersonation, which means I can, you know, set up an Instagram account as oh, you, yeah. for example, pretending to be you. But that's really sinister because what a lot of people are then doing is contacting friends as you, bullying them. So then that's creating this um, disjointed or, or conflict within a friendship and, and that person's going, that wasn't even me, it wasn't even my account. But That's so scary. Know. Oh, my gosh, I'm never letting my kid go into that. <laughs> this is like it's awful. And, well, yeah, you've captured how all parents feel, right? Yeah. Like we, yeah. There's so many benefits to technology use and, and parents know this. We all know this. The academic community knows this. But what we really focus on are the things going, oh, I've heard these really scary stories and I don't want my child to use tech, you know, and I, I 100% I get that. I really, really do. And that's that's the basis of why we started or why I started this business in the first place is to actually help parents mostly, to help parents, you know, know how to navigate this with their children. How do you protect that child as much as you possibly can? What, do you, what, can, what are some of the steps that you can take to safeguard devices or safeguard accounts? Or how do you talk to them when they've been exposed to something that's threatening? So, you know, part of my role I see is to support parents through that journey because it can be really scary when we hear about all these types of things. For sure. I mean, I have, like I mentioned before, I've got a four and a half year old and um, she found, she has a, a tablet and she found YouTube the other day. And mm-hmm. I just was like, no, nope, sorry. I don't know <laughs> where your tangents will go with this. Um, yeah. And, and that's really so that's I just, wise. <laughs> I just didn't know what would pop up or I, I was really nervous about it. So I guess, I mean, I, I took it away from her and I tried to kind of explain, but what, what, what are the kind of conversations that we can have with our kids um, and, and that are age appropriate? Yeah, look, it's a good question. And a four-year-old having an age-appropriate conversation is is a little tricky. Yeah. And the best way to approach it is by actually focusing on the positive side of things and not the negative side. So mm-hmm. because sometimes what we can do, and it's completely unintentional, but when we start talking about, oh, we don't want to go on there because there might be things that are scary or there might be things that are, you know, not safe for people your age, when we use that type of language, what that is saying to that child is, there are things on there that might be frightening for you. That's a scary thing. Instead, you can reframe that language to say, I really want you to watch stuff that's awesome, that's fun, that's great, and here's a better platform for you to use for that or here's a better space for you. And so ABC Kids is a great platform. All of that is curated content. 
Um, YouTube Kids is a better alternative to YouTube. It's certainly still not 100% foolproof, um, but it's it's curated content, um, actually not in the same way ABC Kids is. Obviously, ABC Kids has something, you know, like an editorial group of people and they choose what's selected and this goes on that platform. YouTube for Kids is still um, self uploading content but they have a lot of um, moderation and filters and things in place but it's just about you don't need to provide a child with too much information but always try and spin it for a young child in particular in a more positive way I want you to have a great time I want you to have a positive experience I want you to think that this is so much fun and that's why you're going to use this instead of that and and do you think that I mean what age do you think is it when they start to get technology or do we start having these conversations quite early on it's a really good question and I do think it varies per family I'm not as much as it helps to give you know be prescriptive for everyone because we kind of have this guideline my experience is that so many children are different some kids do not care about technology they just really don't you know sometimes parents when they're little are like oh I just need to make dinner and I want to put you in front of a you know the wiggles for a minute and some kids are not interested in that they just won't have a bar of it and if you have a child like that, there's not necessarily a reason to start talking to them about screen time and behaviours because they genuinely don't care. If you find they are interested in your device or they are interested in, in screens and, and that's, to be honest, quite normal, it's a good time to start talking about positive behaviours and safety the same way that you do when you talk about with your child, okay, well, we cross, I do this with my one-year-old, we look both ways when we cross the road. He literally does not understand what I'm talking about. But what we're trying to do is embed these fundamental safety protocols within them for a really, really young age. And so if your child is interested in screens, it's it's not too early to start talking about having a positive experience, staying safe, staying healthy. It's just using that positive terminology. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about online behaviour um, and what does that mean? And how can we, I guess, educate our children to act appropriately online? Yeah, it's it's that's a really big question, to be honest. It really touches on, I think, something really important about online safety in general. And that is a lot of people think that technology is the problem. And don't get me wrong, a lot of the platforms, even the, the operating systems are not set up as well as they could be to facilitate safety. So that's a huge conversation in itself and I will, I'll put that aside so but a lot of people do just just unilaterally blame the platform and that that's not the case because actually the thing about online safety is that it's the behavior that can be a problem that can make it better that can offer a child a really positive experience it comes back down to behavior if a child is using something like messenger as a platform and they're talking with safe people and they're talking with friends and it's a really positive experience, they will actually benefit from that technology use. But if the behaviour is negative, either by them or, or to them, that's when we have a negative experience. The reason I think that's really important is because that is empowering to parents and kids, but parents, because we can help with that. Not perfectly, and it's an kids, you know, our goal in life is to see them through their life and teach them how to be responsible adults. It's not a I'll tell you one lesson and we're done type of situation. But it is something that's within our control. And really you're applying the same principles of behaviour and, and teaching kids that's exactly the same as the principles you would have in real life about not talking to strangers and being kind to people. There's a few additional points that we would teach kids about online safety, 
one of them is sort of context um, because you you lose that sometimes when it comes to the online world and your perception can change and you can misunderstand things a lot easier than what you might do in, in the real world and you might not have that flexibility of actually clarifying, oh, actually, I didn't mean it like that. So we'll be teaching them some extra levels around that. Um, the other thing with kids online is that we need to be teaching them how to self-regulate their emotions. It is really, really common and normal for kids to overreact in, in regards to situations because that's how their brain development works. We, we see a lot of, it's really normal for kids to have underdevelopment in their logical part of their brain. Um, and so they're very much guided by, until they're sort of late teenagers, very much guided, guided by emotional reasoning which is difficult because if I then have an emotional reaction to something online, I'm going to keep perpetuating that. I know that sounds very esoteric, but really what that comes back down to is parents actually have the skills to teach their, their kids about online safety. They, they know about how we treat others. We know They know about protecting themselves from strangers and all of those types of things. You already have those skills as parents. The one thing that you need to do is when it comes to online safety is make sure that you're present. And that you are having that that level of communication, that you are talking with your child through it, even if they're they're not having any bad experiences, you still need to be teaching them about these things because that's the skill development that they need, that social and emotional side. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really positive message because parents can control that, and parents can be a part of that. Yeah, um, they don't have to have sort of technical skills to help guide their child through that. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's really you, we're just teaching them the exact same things of the physical world or is it IRL in real life? In real life, yeah. <laughs> it's a new one I just learned. <laughs> you know, um, and, and online, it's really the same kind of, you know, the kind of same principles really. Um, you mentioned exactly. people to be um, involved and I guess this is one of the questions that I think a lot of parents might struggle with especially if they are having issues with their kids online is is there a time when you would go okay I probably need to read their messages oh, and is there that, that kind of privacy is there a line or is that very gray or what kind of advice would you give for that look it's it is gray um that area my privacy is an interesting topic right because there's different levels of looking at what your kids are doing online. Messages is, is, is communication, right? That's a, that's a personal exchange that they're having with someone. Is that the same thing as looking on their Instagram profiles and seeing what they posted and watching their stories? I would argue that it's not exactly the same thing because that child's intent when they post on Instagram wasn't necessarily to be really private or have that level of privacy that you would expect if you were just texting. Now, the thing when it comes to online safety is we actually know that the kids who have the best outcomes in terms of longitudinal studies, the kids who have the best outcomes with their experience of the online world um, are actually the kids who have the parents who are most actively parenting in the digital space. They have the best outcomes. What that means then is those parents who are talking to their kids, who are communicating, who have that level of one-to-one. That is really, really, really fundamental one of the ways that you will undermine, though, as a parent, your child's willingness to communicate with you 
is if they feel that you're disrespecting them or you're encroaching upon their privacy. That's a really difficult line then to try and find as a parent. Yeah. Now, other research will tell you that kids actually expect parents to look at their social media profiles and to look at the people who are following. So kids have that expectation. The interesting thing, though, that it comes down to is where do you draw the line in the sand? Mm. My advice to parents is the only reason you should be checking messages, personal messages, is if you have a genuine cause for concern. If something is really off, okay, you, it could be that your child seems really, really down and they won't talk to you about it and they're not seeing their friends anymore and you're genuinely concerned about their welfare and then you might check them if, if that's a last resort. Okay, yeah. that, that to me is a situation where you could, you could ethically justify it. Checking it because you want to see what they're up to. Are they speaking to any boys or girls? Or I'm just checking for safety reasons to me is not a justifiable reason. In fact, what you're doing is the, the risk that you take of harming your communication and, and rapport that you have with your child is more of a risk than actually what you'll find if you read the messages. Okay, that's, that's something that's bigger to lose. In terms of actually looking at social media profiles, though, I think that that's an important thing to do as a parent because that's what that's what employers do, that's what universities do, that's what their teachers do and their friends is they 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 see that content and they see that information. Um, the number one thing that I get parents to do always is tell your child that that's what you're doing. Set the expectation because the breach of trust happens when there is no set expectation about it, or if a child doesn't know. So if you read your child's phone and you never tell them, then that's a significant breach of privacy. If you tell them beforehand what you're going to do, so let's just say you give your child their their access to their first phone, tell them as a parent, I'm just going to let you know now, like right up front, my way, one of the ways that I want to protect you and help you is by looking at your profiles. And also if I ask to see them, I would like you to show me the respect by, by actually showing me. The reason that I'm going to do that is because I want to make sure that you're making great decisions. I want to make sure that people are treating you well. And if I check your profile and something's a little bit off, okay, I'll probably, I'm not going to take your phone off you. Okay. In most circumstances, I won't. What I want to do is use that as an opportunity to work through it with you. You're setting a very clear expectation for that child. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's why I'm going to do it. And here's the possible consequence of it going not so well. And then have a, you can then have a, a discussion with your child around that. They might not necessarily like it. In fact, I'll guarantee, particularly for teenagers, they still don't love the idea, but at least they know. If yeah. you haven't told them any of that and then you later go on and say, hey, I looked at your phone and I saw that photo and I wasn't impressed with what you did, that's a lot for your child to then process in terms of impinging on their privacy. You going behind their back, you know, it would be the same thing as if your partner did it to you. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, but my advice to parents, in terms of private messages, don't just do it for the sake of doing it or thinking that that's just a safety precaution. Um, it's it's a real it risk. history. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm actually going to be a really nosy parent, so I'm going to have to. (laughs) Well, the thing is for parents, instead of um, going through, because browse history and things like that is kind of looking at what has happened. It's historical. But a better approach is actually stopping kids from being exposed to negative stuff in the first place. So using filters and parental control tools is such a, a top recommendation of mine because then you don't have to look through browser history. 
because you know that your child, if they did look up something and they were, you know, uh, looking up more so pornography from like a teenage perspective, but you know if they've looked it up, they didn't get access to it anyway. Setting up for safety is is far more effective as a strategy than constantly backtracking and trying to make sure everything's yeah. fine. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, parental control tools are, are a good kind of solution to to that. To less stress. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what are some of the things that we can do as parents, guardians, grandparents uh, to keep our children safe online? You did mention before about the safeguards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a pretty simple model um, when it comes to what can we do to keep our kids safe. I call it the ABC model just to be, like I said, very simple and everyone loves an acronym. Um, What ABC stands for is control access, set boundaries and openly communicate. You can apply this to a four-year-old and you can apply this to a 16-year-old. It doesn't matter. What you'll find is that the when I explain sort of the elements of this, when they're a bit younger, you'll generally put more of a focus on the controlling access side and less a little bit on the communication side. Whereas as as they get older, sort of 15, 16, you'll put less of a focus on the controlling access side and more of a focus on the communication side. So it's kind of like a sliding scale. But controlling access essentially means you control what your child has access to and when they have access to it. You have to make sure that their access is safe. The first and foremost step that a parent, grandparent, guardian, schools already do this, um, but anyone at home can do is make sure that the device that your child is accessing is set up for safety. Mm. And that changes depending on how old your child is. There's so there's um, every single device type has at least some level of inbuilt safety controls. So if you are using an Apple device, they have something called screen time, which is kind of a misleading um title because it's not just about screen time but that's their parental control tool that's built in and they give you options to set screen time limits and not download things from the app store um you know have basic content filtering so kids can't see inappropriate sort of google search results um android phones have google family link um, microsoft have been built into laptops so parents and, and guardians and grandparents, you know, if you've got an iPad that, you're, that your grandchildren are using. Very, very simple steps. And if you're not sure how to do that, if you just sort of Google, you know, parental controls for my phone, there's so much information out there. YouTube videos are great. So make sure that the device is set up so that the child is not going to be exposed to or you're decreasing the risk that your child is going to be exposed to something that is going to harm them or downloading an app that that's not appropriate for them. When kids turn around 10, I usually recommend the use of a paid parental control tool. The reason being is that a paid parental control tool is the best in high school when you really want to manage screen time and and allow certain apps at certain times and not let kids jump on, you know, Snapchat when they're 12 because that's a really inappropriate app. So 10 is a good time to start because they're starting to enter into the world of social media, even when parents think that they're not. They absolutely are because their friends often have it. Um, And so they're already starting to get exposed to it. So 10 is a good age where your child will be compliant and willing. A lot of parents try to do it at like 13 when they really need it and you get a lot of resistance. So start that early. Um, I think prior to 10, the, the default settings that come on a device are adequate enough unless you've got sort of a little tech genius and then maybe a parental control tool but prior to that no once you've set up 
the device to be safe and you can kind of rest easy on that, then you you, um, set boundaries. So boundaries are about the rules and expectations you have for your child's, you know, online behaviours. And also that opportunity to tell your child where you stand on certain things. So I'm going to check your social media profiles or um, I am going to use a parental control tool from, you know, to manage how much screen time you have. And this is how much time um, per week or per day that you're going to have leisure time. So it could be a screen time schedule. Um, it could be certain rules like not using devices in, um, in bedrooms or bathrooms. It could be no device dinner. Those are the rules that are different for every family. But the clearer your expectations are at the beginning, the easier it is to enforce them later and also for your child to feel secure in what they are okay? because they're not vague and ambiguous. They're, they're very clear. I love the use of a digital contract to make that clear and I tell parents to be collaborative with their kid on it so actually do it together build it together yeah and then when kids break the rules and I say when not if because (laughs) they will because they're kids and that's okay but that document that agreement gives you something to go back to and say hey this was actually written in here why do you think it was important because it's not here for no reason and you can then have a discussion about it so you're setting those boundaries and expectations and then the last one is open, openly communicate. And that is so easy. It's just talking. It's asking questions. It's understanding what your child is doing. It's getting on their level. It's, it's trying to get them to think about online safety and how they should be safe. And that's literally just talking. So as a parent, you don't have to give them a lecture. Like you don't have to say strangers are really bad and this and that. Don't talk to people you don't know. And then you've walked off and you've done your job. It's a, it's a, it's a, which don't get me wrong, even telling them that in the first place is helpful. But because some people don't even do that, but having a conversation instead and having that reciprocity is really beneficial for your child. So instead of saying, like, don't talk to strangers, this is really bad, what you can do is be like, hey, you really like Minecraft. Who can you talk to on that game? And then they'll tell you, and you'll go, have you ever, like, spoken, has anyone who's a stranger ever spoken to you? And like, what was that like? And then they'll say, oh, yeah, they, they did. And, and you can say things like, what do you think about talking to strangers? And just start to get them to, like, talk about it. And you can say, look, just like in the real world, there's a lot of nice strangers, but there's a lot of, you know, not nice strangers. And so what are the, some things we can do to make sure that we're just, like, keeping ourselves safe? Like, what can you do on Minecraft? Is, this, is the way that Minecraft is built, is there anything that can help you keep safe? And so it doesn't feel so much like a lecture, but it feels more like an exchange, that communication, which kids always appreciate. So Mm -hmm. just keep talking about it and talking about it. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, if they're into something like Minecraft or, you know, I'm sure they'll kind of enjoy, like, it's almost like, teach me, tell me about it. Like Exactly. Kids love it. Yeah. When when you sit down and say, hey, who's your favourite YouTuber? Oh, God. Particularly primary school kids. They love being asked stuff like that. Yeah. My favourite question to ask even teenagers who, who are gamers about are you any good, even <laughs> asking that question because they love being like, yeah, yeah, and then you're like, why? But it's showing that you're having a positive interest in, you know, what they're doing, yeah. but then it, they love just kind of boasting and showing, you know, you showing your interest in, in what they like and, and what they play and that kind of thing. It's a, it's a really good way to promote that bonding. Um and then intertwine those lessons within that communication. Yeah. Okay. So one last question, and I think this is probably one of the most debated questions among parents is, can we post 
photos of our kids online. What's your <laughs> what's your your stand on that one? <laughs> Look, the over <laughs> this is a it is a hotly debated topic. Um, my number one answer to that to start out with is this is and when I say number one thing, this is for a, for a uh, sorry a parent to ask themselves: Will your child's safety be put at risk by posting it? And if the answer is even possibly yes, it is absolutely no, no go. Um, parents really need to, and if you don't know the answer to that, of I don't know what would impact my child's safety, then no, you don't know enough about online safety to post of your children. Go and find that information out, come back and reassess. Uh, the best place to find that information is the Office of the E-Safety Commissioner here in Australia. There's some brilliant information on there. It's very easy to read, lots of different languages, um, and there's a whole parent area and there's a whole topic on this. So number one, is your child's safety going to be impacted? Um, when you think about safety, also think about um, the way that your child is dressed, right? I had my uh, my brother-in-law and he, he's a beautiful, beautiful person, but posted a, a photo of his two babies at the beach and they were naked. I mean, cute. But the thing is, I sent him a private message and said, look, I know this sounds a little extreme, but how do you know that that picture is not going to end up on sort of a, a child pedophile ring? Because that is a lot of the places where they get that content from. So, yes, you trust your immediate network, but you have no ability to make sure that other people can't access that photo, even if you have your privacy settings turned on. So, so my Instagram, like if you have, like mine, for example, is private, Mm-hmm. And I only have a very select few. And you know how you can have that story where it's just to these people? You, you're yeah. saying that that's not necessarily foolproof, like there are ways to to hack into that? Nothing's foolproof, right? So yeah. a couple of things. So with Instagram, you have to be able to look at the T's and C's, for example. What's their data storage policy? So something like Snapchat will tell you that if it's not in chat, if it's something that's just a picture that's been sent or received, this is at the time we're speaking as well because this changes often. Um, but if it's a photo that's been sent or received, once it's been opened, it gets deleted off their servers. It means that there's a less likelihood of someone hacking into that server and then taking that photo. Instagram holds it on their server for a longer period of time. So if there is a breach uh, on Instagram servers, then other people can have access to that. On the other hand, if we're just talking about there's a small select group of um, people that you're sending it to, there's a less likely chance that someone might screenshot but there is always a chance that someone t- might take a screenshot because they think it's really cute and then send it to someone else or um, even like something that happens strangely, not often, but often enough, is that people take screenshots of other people's photos because they think it's a really cute picture and then they replicate it with their own kids or they'll get a professional to take a photo like that. The one I always see if you think about like my- I was born in the 90s, so my the I always said people of like kind of my age um, who were on a pool table naked. That was just like the go-to picture that everybody had. I don't know why our parents just thought that was super cute. <laughs> um, but that's what I mean by replicating, like in a very non-sinister way, but replicating something that's really sweet. Um, so people do that. So they take screenshots and then you don't know. So the moral of the story is you cannot guarantee that even a, a picture you've sent in a text message isn't going to get sent around. It's just it's just a, a way of operating. When it comes to my child, 
I would take zero risk on that, right? If it was my own body and I thought, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm an adult. So if I wanted to take a photo and send it to my husband, right, that was a personal one, I take that risk fully informed as an adult. Mm. My child can't do that. And also the implication of, of potentially being on sort of a, a child sex offender website is not a risk. I wouldn't even take it if there was only a 1% chance that my child, uh, that that, fi- that picture was going to get saved or that server was going to get hacked. So they're the two things that fundamentally, if as a parent, you need to be thinking about. So your child's physical safety, which includes pictures of them in their school uniform, uh, which is the most common one that we see, but the other is nudity or anything that's really cute, but that could be sexualized for that child. Two things to think about. After that, you think, okay, well, their personal safety isn't at risk. I haven't captioned anything that's giving anything away. There's nothing sexually inappropriate. Not that I'm taking a sexual photo of my child, but you know what I mean? There's nothing um, sinister in that way in this particular picture. Then you're kind of entering into, I've checked off safety. Now let's go into ethics and morality. Would my child care? at some point when they're older, when they understand this, would they mind this picture being posted up? Okay, because what we're trying to teach then is, is, is being a, a, an ethical digital citizen. So if the answer to that is, yeah, I think they think it's funny or it's not embarrassing or anything like that, then it might be okay at that point to share, you know, depending on who your audience is and that kind of thing. So that's that's kind of the process of thinking that um, I encourage that, um, parents that, to go that's through. Where you get the uh, the you go to your boyfriend or girlfriend's house and and your parent gets out the old <laughs> photo album, right? And it's like put it away. It's kind of the same thing, right? It's exactly right. The thing about um, posting it online is that if they if that forms part of their digital footprint, that lasts for a very very long long time, and they haven't had that choice. Whereas the photo that's in the photo album is only going to get shown to, you know, a select group of people. And if you really wanted to, you could, you know, burn it on your way out from visiting your parents' house. <laughs> but we have to be thinking about um, the how long that will last for them and also when they get older what we want to teach them because do we want our kids posting photos of other people that they find embarrassing? No, that's not appropriate behaviour. So we need to be modelling that even at an age when our child doesn't understand. Um, you know, when they're little babies and that kind of thing. So that's, mm-hmm. I don't have a clear yes or no, but safety always first. If there's any chance that it can could impact a child's physical safety, social safety, well, um, psychological safety, anything like that, it's an absolute no for me. But just thinking through safety elements first, where could this picture end up? And then would my child be mad at me if I posted this later, you know, when they're a bit older and they do understand? Um, and they're the things I think parents should be guided by. Thank you so much, Jordan. I really appreciate um, you taking the time to chat to me. And, I mean, I've learned a lot <laughs> in the short time that we have oh been speaking. Pleasure. So, yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm sure lots of parents um, who listen to this podcast, all parents-to-be, um, will, yeah, take a lot from this. So thank you so much. I think it's such important work that you're doing. And, um, yeah. Thanks, Samantha. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure talking. I'm sure when we speak again in the future, there'll be, It'll be completely different. Oh, it'll be, you know, holograms and the VR oh, thing and the metaverse, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Well, that's kind of, that's our reality now, to yeah. be honest. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Mm. Well, thank you, Jordan. And thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, if you would like to check out some of the resources that Jordan has mentioned, you can find those in the description of this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to keep up to date with all of the latest releases. 
If you'd like to be a speaker on Alumni After Dark, um, just feel free to email us at alumni at murdoch.edu.au. See you next time. Thank <laughs> you.